As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Howdy, everybody. It's Arthur Staple. Welcome back to No Sleep Till Belmont, your Islanders podcast from The Athletic. Joined, as always, by A.J. Maletsko as she studies up for Islander Sabres tonight. How you doing, A.J.? I'm good. I'm good. I'm uh, ready for, hopefully, a little bit of a better game tonight. <laughs> yeah, I know you were calling You were calling the best game of the night with, last night, which was Vegas and Minnesota. That was a, that was a crazy one. Uh, the Islanders game was less crazy, but uh, make sure you, you learn how to spell and pronounce Michael Hauser's name right, since uh, he was kind of the un, unexpected star of that game for the Sabres and that a guy who hasn't played an AHL game in five years and managed to post a W for the Sabres in a, a game that we'll break down a little bit more later on. But first, let's talk about some good news. The Islanders finally have that X next to their name in the standings. They clinched a playoff spot uh, two nights ago or three nights ago with a win over the Rangers. And last week, really, the highlight uh, was those two games, two shutout wins over the Rangers, where we saw the Islander team that it is uh, been in the playoffs three straight years and made the Eastern Conference final last season and could really be a threat to go far again this year. We hadn't seen that team in a while, but boy, did they come back with a vengeance in those two. Yeah, and you know, you look at this past week, so the Washington game was a snooze fest, a one nothing loss, and then they come back and they steamroll the Rangers. When the Rangers have been building, they up until last night were, were making a hard push for that last playoff spot. Of course, they were officially knocked out last night. Um, but they were, it actually was probably two weeks ago when the Islanders beat the Rangers that I thought that was sort of the unofficial end of their season. That to me was when they lost, they, they lost a little wind in their sails, but then the nails in the coffin were the Thursday and Saturday, four, nothing, three, nothing wins, uh, at the Coliseum, no less. And, uh, allegedly the last times those two, those two, two team rivals, you can never be on. sure with the, college, I, the history of the Coliseum, but we're pretty sure. Say now. Allegedly, we'll, we'll stick that word in there just to be safe. Um, you know, it's too bad that it couldn't be a packed house, and these COVID times are are tough when you have some your teams playing at the level that they're playing. Whether it's a game that I did last night, as you mentioned, the Vegas at Wild game, which which was was nuts and a lot of fun. Um, and too bad they only have 3,000 fans in the stand or, or whatever it is in the varying venues. Uh, so you have those two. But then Saturday night is really exciting for Islanders, for Islanders fans, for those of us that cover the team. We knew they were on a trajectory for the playoffs. They had been number one in the division for much of this season. Obviously, they've slipped down, and I'm sure we'll continue to talk about it. They've slipped from that first spot all the way down to the fourth spot. 
But still, you look at what they've been able to accomplish with the loss of their captain, Andrews Lee, such an integral part of this team back in March, and bringing in two new pieces, three new pieces um, at the deadline. You know, I think that it's it's been impressive what they've been able to do. There's certainly some concerns, and there's some work to be done over these last couple games as they as they near the playoffs. But um, but I think that was that was great news on Saturday night, and to see the way that they dominated and, and to do it in two shutouts. Yeah, and and kind of the, like you encompass the six one game they had against the Rangers from a couple weeks ago. Those three games, um, yeah, you know, if it was non COVID times, how exciting it would have been in the stands, both at the Garden and at the Coliseum with the, the mix of Islander and Ranger fans. Um, the Islanders kind of, you know, getting not only clinching the playoffs, but but doing it at the expense of the Rangers and not essentially knocking them out, even though it wasn't official until last night. Um, that's uh, that's a big moment for the Islanders. You know, I think uh, they had a little bit of a scare there for, for a couple of weeks where they really got away from their identity. And you can certainly make the argument that the Rangers are not uh, the Capitals or the Bruins, the Penguins. They're not a team that's quite there yet in terms of playing 60 minutes and being able to, to grind out and win battles and do all the things that the Islanders were unable to do in their previous three against the Caps, uh, a team that they might see in the playoffs. But the Islanders are really all about the Islanders, and and it's the cliche of the coach or whoever saying, we, we're concerned with how we play. And I think that was the epitome of that, those two games, that the Islanders don't care that the Rangers have all the, the skill in the world and guys that can whip the puck around. If they're cycling their lines and doing what they need to be doing and just kind of winning those little battles, um, they can beat anybody and they can look as dominating as they did. Well, but I think the key is, and you just said it, is, is playing to their identity and playing their game, no matter who they're playing. And and I think that's a, that is a cliche and it's something you hear coaches and players say all the time. And we've heard it for years, uh, but it is something that the good teams do. And even the good teams that do it on a regular basis have nights where they don't and they play to their opponents or they have a lull. And I think, you know, last night certainly was, was an example of that. You come off the high of the sweeping their rivals in two shutouts, clinching the playoffs and, and they come out with, a bit of a stinker last night. So, you know, I think that that's for them and with Barry Trotz behind the helm and with the pieces that Lou Lamorello has put in place, they have the makeup of a team that can play consistently and they can play that blue collar effort because their team is based on work ethic. Their team is based on structure. Their team is based on predictability. It's not based on this high flying dynamic offense that you see from some other teams. Um, it, it is now they do have that. And we've seen Matt Barzell score several highlight real goals this season. We've seen them create some incredible and fun offense, but that's not their identity. So I think the way that they're built is for that consistency. Now it's for a deep run in the playoffs too, because they can match, you know, we saw it in August, 2020 in bubble hockey, they can match different styles of play. They can match the flyers. They can match you know, whoever it is, the Florida, the uh, Washington, and then onward up to the um, Lightning, who they ultimately fell to. So I think that that's, a, that's good news for them. Um, but are there any, w- when you look at them, what are your biggest concerns as they near the end of the regular season? You know, uh, I, I think just kind of circling back a little bit to the to the Thursday game, I think, you know, we talked so much about lineups and where guys fit, especially with, with Palmieri and Zajac, who kind of hadn't really um, fully integrated themselves into the lineup, um, and that was certainly the, the, those were big concerns. I think in the in the first ten games or so after the after they acquired those two guys, but I think in addition to seeing the Islanders play to their identity and play 
you know, Islander hockey, um, it was telling to me that Travis Zajac wasn't a part of either of those games. And that's not a knock on Travis Zajac. He's a, he's a great NHL player. And if he decides to hang him up after this year or keep playing, uh, he could fit in very nicely with the Islanders, given some other lineup changes uh, or with somebody else, maybe even back with Jersey. But um, I think when this team is at full strength uh, in their, among their forwards, He's their fifth center, and I think you know, kind of solidifying that for for Barry Trotz, it's probably unfortunate because they did spend a lot of capital to to get Zajac in along with Palmieri. But I, you know, I think when you make those kind of trades, and especially like you said, Anders Lee is out, so everyone just assumed Kyle Palmieri would be Matthew Barzell's winger, and Travis Zajac would fit in on the wing, and it just boom, it'll happen because they're good players, and the Islanders are a good team. It doesn't always go that way, and I think the most important thing was to find the right spots for those guys. And it looks like Palmieri playing with JG Paggio might be the right spot. And Leo Komarov playing with Barzal is the right spot. And Travis Zajac not playing unless they need him is the right spot. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting. You look at all that, that you've got um, Leo Komarov. I mean, you and I have talked at length on this podcast about sort of the ebbs and flows of uncle Leo and peep the frustration that fans had with him early on and actually had with Barry Trotz. And, you know, I go back to January, early February, and he's taking some, there's a game against the Capitals where he took a late penalty and had a bad giveaway that they had a late goal to win the game. So, you know, it was, he's had these egregious mistakes that we can see, but I think through the years, through this year, you and I, together with the fans, we've been able to see some of the little things, the the value that he offers. Now we can't see the value that he offers in the locker room. And we've talked about that also that Barry Trotz has told us, but, you know, I do think he probably does fit the best on that top line. And, I, and Barry Trotz certainly thinks, though, and he knows more than all of us. Um, but it is interesting when you look at the way the lineup goes. And then Pajot allegedly will be back in tonight, we've heard, maybe, uh, hoping. I guess maybe that's wishful thinking on on all of our parts. We hope to see Pajot back in the lineup after missing last night. Um, but Zajac's a, a great fill-in for him. Not quite – doesn't quite bring the same energy, uh, doesn't quite bring – all of the pieces that Pajot does, but you know, I think they giving up some of the, the the capital that you talk about for those two players, it may come back in spades based on the fact that they need that depth if they're going to go on a long playoff run. So, you know, I, I like the where they're sitting. I do think that um, I'd like to see their defense jump up a little bit more. I just think their defense has been quiet. I don't think that they've been um, they they haven't been a a, a, a sore spot. But to me, I think a really good team can get offense from everybody on the ice. And I just don't think the defense is bringing what I expected of them. And I know that Devon Taves is gone, and that's a, that's a bit of a hole. Uh, but I think these guys have the skill and the capacity to add a little bit more. So that's one of my concerns moving forward. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
So we went into the break talking about some concerns that we have about this Islander team going forward. And last night um, was uh, was concerning, to say the least. I think they were certainly concerned about the fact that they not only blew a 2 nothing lead to the Sabres, who have been playing better but are still the worst team in the league, um, and did so to a 28-year-old goalie who hadn't even played anywhere in a year and hasn't played above the, the, the East Coast League in about five years, and Michael Hauser, who going to get to see him tonight because all of the other Sabres goalies are either injured or on leave. Um, does it concern you to see a game like that? Or do you just sort of feel like it's the, it was the perfect storm emotional letdown given what had transpired the previous couple of games? Well, full disclosure, you mentioned it already. I was working another game, so I didn't watch it live. Um, on my train this morning, I had planned to watch it, but the Wi-Fi wasn't working. So I, since I got home, I've watched the first period and we'll watch the second and third uh, in a little bit. So with that said, I have a pretty good handle on what went down based on a lot of different things, talking to my the team that I work with over at MSG and reading a whole lot of things um, based on it. So is it concerning? One game is not concerning to me. Uh, even in a 56-game season, you're, you can't have a perfect game every night. Now, clearly the Islanders have been on a bit – they started hot – and they were really good for a while. And then they they have been on a bit of a slide um, at, at various times, sort of in the second half of the season. But, uh, you know, one game doesn't ruin a season. The, re- the response tonight, to me, is huge. How they respond, how they play, the kind of energy they come out with. Um, I, you know, I also think that Buffalo, yes, they're the worst team in the league, but they have been a different team since Donnie Granato took over. And, you know, I don't even think that the the his um, his record necessarily indicates it because he's cert- they've certainly lost more than they've won even with Granado behind the bench. But there's a different energy. They're not as easy a two points as they've been the rest of the season. Um, so with that said, we know th- they have nothing to lose, right? They're fighting just basically for their careers at this point. Um, so it, it doesn't concern me that they have a game where they're not connected or they're not they don't have the energy. But I do think that at this point in the season, they need to be building. And you look at the three teams, one of whom they're going to face in the first round of the playoffs, and we don't know which one at this point because those four are, you know, they're ever evolving. They are all building. And at least Pittsburgh and Boston clearly are. I mean, from the last couple of weeks on, they have been getting better and better. So, and that's what you want. You want to come in with momentum, with confidence into the playoffs. It worries me a little bit based on the way the Islanders are playing, but Again, a Barry Trotz coach team, he is giving them all the right messaging. And, you know, this back-to-back against Buffalo is big. How do they come out tonight? If they if they lay another egg tonight, that to me is more concerning than if they get back to business. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like concern is, is, a, is a good word because you're, you're paying attention, but you're not wringing your hands. I feel like, um, you know, it, it was – it was a game that they were not going to, it was going to be a struggle, win or lose. And, you know, they got uh, a kind of accidental first goal that could have rattled the kid in net. Uh, it didn't, they didn't really press the press their advantage. And I think it ties into a little bit of what you were saying. It certainly seemed like the Sabres were willing to let the Islanders move the puck around the points quite a bit. And just as long as they didn't get it down to their forwards to kind of grind away and create chances below the hash marks, uh, the Sabres were fine with that. And that turned out to be a pretty smart move because, the Islanders don't have outside of Ryan Pollock, and and I love Ryan Pollock's shot, but he does take a little while to to load it and lock it. Um, so he needs a lot of room for that. 
Um, and really outside of Adam Pellick, they don't really have a guy that's that's going to be that aggressive. I thought Noah Dobson was pretty aggressive in the offensive zone in the first period. And then whether it was a Sabres adjustment or the Islanders just kind of went away from it, they, they didn't really have enough zone time to to make it worthwhile in the second or third. So save you save you a little you know, an hour of watching. <laughs> That's really what happened. And then the Sabres started to turn the tide and the Islanders weren't strong enough in their own end. So, um, you know, if you've been an Islander fan for more than a few years, you know all about the dead cat bounce that can happen when you're basically eliminated in February. Um, you know, you, you play a little freer, a little looser. Uh, you know, the consequences aren't quite as severe for, for a loss thing. You know, you're not quite as tight as, as some of these teams are that, that are vying for playoff position or trying to get in. And I think um, there's a lot of Islander fans that could think of games that have that were pretty good games in the second half of seasons that were that were not so successful. So it definitely it kind of combined as a perfect storm, like you said. I am curious to see how they come out tonight, and I and I don't have a lot of worries about how they will come out. Um, you know, this is a Barry Trotz coach team. They've they've been excellent on the second half of back to backs. They don't usually play two games without much grind in them in a row, unless it's you know some sort of extenuating circumstances they're playing a very good team um so yeah so i think even if they lose tonight i think it's more about how they play and how they how committed they look and how energetic they look than the results because to be perfectly honest now that they don't really control their own destiny in the division i think if everybody else wins out they'll finish fourth and it's more than likely that they'll finish fourth uh because every i think all the three teams ahead of them have games against non-playoff teams left um, once you kind of get that out of your system and just know that you're in the playoffs, you don't have to worry about home ice. They obviously still want it, but if it's not there for them to grab, maybe their minds get a little freer and say, we're in, we can play a little looser. We can work on the things we need to work on and we'll be ready for next week. Yeah. You know, and I do think that the way that if you look at the way they played against the Rangers in the games we were just talking about last week, the two shutouts, when they're successful, they're moving the puck through the neutral zone quickly. And that was something just watching the the bits of last night's game that I got, they were getting a little jammed up, right? And so I think as they move in, you know, we were, we were talking earlier about their identity and it's hard work, right? It's moving the puck. And, it, and, and to me, that's their fourth line and that's forechecking and all that stuff. But they also have... Um, you know, you were mentioning Dobson being aggressive in the in the first period, at least, and pinching down. And some of that is also in the in the neutral zone, right? The gap control, staying up in the play, and all six D are capable of that. I know there's always been some question marks. They have different styles of play, but I think as they move forward tonight, and as they move forward against the Devils on Thursday and Saturday, these are good. The, these are tests for them mentally more than anything else, because of, these are teams that are out of playoff contention. Can they get back to this, the, the way that they played this? Can they set the tone, set the pace of the game themselves without being pushed by that desperation, by that motivation of playing a Capitals or a Penguins or a Bruins team, right? And that's that to me is is why it's a test. So win or loss tonight, win or lose tonight, do they, yeah, do they come out with that same energy? Do they come out with that jump? Uh, does, does that fourth line come out with that that presence that, you know, if a defender is a, a Buffalo defender is going behind the net today, are they looking over their shoulder thinking, is Cal Clutterbuck or Matt Martin coming to hunt me down, right? Do they have that sort of menacing approach to their um, their forecheck or are they playing catch up? And that to me is what I'm going to be looking for tonight. So we'll see what happens tonight. And like you said, they play Jersey the next two and then uh, a game with Boston that could be big to end the season. 
And then by the time we record next week, we'll know who they're playing in the playoffs. We'll be all about playoffs. So let's uh, switch gears just for a quick second and talk about this, the totality of this season and some uh, some NHL awards. I am a voter uh, on some of the awards, along with my colleagues in the Hockey Writers Association. Uh, the Vezina Trophy is voted on by the league's general managers, and the broadcasters vote on the Jack Adams Award. Now, what are there any awards that come to mind for you? Where you say, yeah, I think there's an Islander who could fit uh, in the top three or be a finalist or maybe even be a contender to win it. Hmm. You know, I think that um, uh, the short answer is no. And, and I don't mean that as a well, I don't mean that as an insult as much as I mean it as a compliment to the team. They don't. They they really do work together in unity, right? I think that I think Barry Trotz is a phenomenal coach. I think he's always should be considered for a Jack Adams. But I look at what some of these other coaches have done. I, Rod Brindmore in yeah. Carolina has done a phenomenal job. Uh, I think Joel Quenville's done a good job. I think Dean Evison's done a just a really really good job out in Minnesota. I mean, it, there's a there are a lot of coaches that have turned teams around. Barry Trotz did that and he won the Jack Adams the year he turned them around. Right. So now the expectations have changed. So that's the hard part about the Jack Adams is, is it a turnaround? Is it a, um, is it, you have, you don't have the skill, but you're able to, you know, do well. Is it, you're giving handed just a stack team. Um, in terms of, you know, Vesna, I, I think Varlamov has, is, has really had an excellent season, uh, but I think if you look at what my vote, and I used to have a vote out of COVID, they've shortened the list. So I used to have a vote. I don't this year, but the uh, Flurry to me, Mark Andre yeah. Flurry has had just n- nothing short of a phenomenal season. Um, so he would get my vote this year. But that's not saying that Varlamov shouldn't be in the conversation. Doesn't mean that he shouldn't be in necessarily one of the finalists because I do think that you look at what he's done with his shutouts, uh, with his the, the shutout stri- streak that he had going. Um, and, you know, I think that you look at some of the other players on this team um, in years past, I thought Sezikis should have been in the conversation for the Selkie, um, not necessarily this year, just based on how this team has played and how they've performed. Um, but, you know, I think that it, that the way that this team plays, it's not about those individual awards. It is about how they roll and when they're at their best, all four lines are going and they all know their identity and they all play their role. Uh, what about you? Since you are a voter, are you allowed to give away your your how you feel? I, I'm happy to give away how I feel at all times <laughs> about the awards, and especially this year because it's going to be so difficult to pick an award because I've been watching East Division games. I've tried to watch some other games. Usually, in a normal year, you get to at least see everybody around the league, and you're kind of more aware of it. And now, um, just to make everybody else aware, the you know our Hockey Writers Association, we've pared down our voting as well. It's twenty voters from each division and then 20 at large to kind of make it a little bit more equitable. But even just to, to figure out who's a candidate, do I pick straight up just by stats around the league? Because everybody's basically playing intradivisional games, you know, or do I pick a representative from each division? Um, it's going to be tough. So I, I think of the awards that, that, that the writers vote on, which are the Calder for Rookie of the Year, Hart Trophy for MVP, Selkie for Best Defensive Forward, Norris Trophy, Best Defenseman, and Lady Bing. Um, I don't think there's a lot of Islander contenders. We had mentioned briefly a few months, you know, maybe a month or so ago, when Matthew Barzell was on his pretty good heater, uh, that he might get a vote for the Hart Trophy this year. Not that he would win it. Um, that seems to be Connor McDavid's trophy to, to take home yet again. Uh, but I don't think Barzell kind of kept up his pace there. So yeah, I, I'd say the two that you mentioned, 
you know, Barry Trotz might get a, a vote or two for Jack Adams, but I like you said, once you've once you've brought your team back and won the Jack Adams, it seems like everybody kind of pushes you to the back of the line. Um, and I do think Semyon Varlamov will be in the in the in the conversation at least for second or third. He'll, he'll probably be a, a finalist for the for the Vezina. I don't know if he'll get any first place votes. Um, if he does, he'd be the first Islander goalie since 1988 to get a first place vote for the Vezina, which is wow. bonkers. Kelly Rudy, by the way, was the last one to get a first place vote. Um, and he's deserving of it. He's really had a great year. And, and I wrote a whole story about you know the Islanders, I think, since around that time when they traded Kelly Rudy in the middle of the 88-89 season. It's just been a search to find really good goaltending. And Barry Trotz and Mitch Korn and Piero Greco have created a goalie factory, essentially a place where a guy like Robin Leonard can come in from his, his personal struggles and turn around and have a great year. And he was a Vezina finalist, finalist two years ago, Thomas Grice, who was coming off a bad year with the Islanders turnaround, part of a Jennings trophy tandem, had another good year last year. Semyon Varlamov comes in off a bad year in Colorado, and now he could be a Vezina finalist. Ilya Sorokin comes in from Russia. He's doing very well. It's an amazing transformation. And I think uh, a lot of people around the league haven't quite caught up to the fact that the Islanders maybe have the best goaltending now in the in this East Division um, just because they can plug in different guys. So yeah, I'd, I'd say Orlamov gets to be a finalist for the Vezina. Barry Trotz, probably not a finalist, but top five, Jack Adams, and uh, maybe worry about the, the, team, the team trophies like a Stanley Cup rather than the individual awards. Yeah, and I think that's what that's if you asked any of them, that's what these guys would say. It's interesting. Um, I'll have to read your article about the the goalies because I do I find that transformation um, fascinating and really impressive. Because Barry Trotz, when he came in, you know, he again he brings these guys with him. Um, at least Mitch Corn, and I think that that's where what's impressive to me is they're not just taking they're not saying okay we're going to try to trade for Andre Vasilevsky. Right. They're not going to take these guys that are known quantities. And I'm not saying Varlamov wasn't known to be a good goalie, but as you said, he struggled a little bit. And Robin Leonard absolutely struggled. He was very open about it. And some of that was his addiction and mental health uh, struggles that he's he's chronicled. Uh, but I what is what's fascinating is when you watch them, and you and I have been at those morning skates or been at the practices where you see them and all the goalie drills they do and the little subtle changes they make. And so I give I give Mitch Korn, Piero Greco a ton of credit, but I also give all of those goalies you just mentioned a lot of credit because when you make it to the NHL, and especially if you've already been in the NHL for several years, and then you have a goalie that a goalie coach that's trying to tweak some things that you do, that's hard. I mean, that's really, really hard to take things that you've done your whole life, change your hand position, change the way you're holding your stick, the way your elbow is, whatever it is, all these subtle things that they worked with uh, that these guys were open to. And maybe it's because they were coming off down years, maybe, who knows? And so they had to be open to it if they wanted to extend their careers. Uh, But it, it has been really fun to watch how solid they are. Now, it also can't be underestimated that Barry Trotz's system works very well in front of the goalie. So the shots that come at them are predictable. There's no, I mean, that that's that it, these goalies have been amazing, but they get a lot of help in front of them, too. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right. Well, I feel like we wrapped 
our show, however many months ago it was, that Tom Wilson got suspended seven games for driving his forearm into Brandon Carlo's face. Um, talking about Tom Wilson, even though it wasn't a game involving the Islanders. But Tom Wilson is a very popular topic among Islander fans, as evidenced by the fact that I posted a couple of reaction tweets last night after Tom Wilson's latest antics and got lots of reactions, uh, comments, some printable, some not, from Islander fans. And um, so just to back up, since it, like I said, was not a game involving the Islanders last night, uh, Tom Wilson uh, seemed to punch Pavel Buchnevich, the Rangers, while his head was kind of already facing the ground and he was pinned underneath another Caps player. That enraged some of Buchnevich's line mates, who were not goons uh, or real fighters by any means, Ryan Strome or Temi Panarin. Panarin grabbed Wilson from behind. Uh, Wilson flipped his helmet off and then flipped Panarin and nearly smashed his head into the ice. Um, and now Panarin is out for the rest of the season. Tom Wilson got a misconduct in addition to a couple of roughing penalties and a $5,000 fine today. Um, so there's been lots of chatter on the internet and around NHL circles about what to do about Tom Wilson. Um, the Islanders may see Tom Wilson in the playoffs. He'll be available to play unless he does something stupid in these next few games for the Caps. Um, and first, AJ, you know, obviously women's hockey is very different than men's hockey, not just because it's men and women, but also you guys had full face shields and nobody's stupid enough, man or woman, to punch somebody with a full face shield on. Um, was there a code? Was there, did you ever have any situations where there were people who crossed the line on another team and there was, you, you just tried to get them back some way, somehow within the rules? Or, or is that just something that didn't exist in your game? No, it definitely existed. And, and you're absolutely right. I mean, the, there were certainly the scrums and the scuffles in front of the net. Um, you know, as I've mentioned before on this podcast, I did move from center to defense, but I do feel both of those positions I'm covering in front of the net, I'm in the corners. Uh, and I was, a, I'm a big player for and women's hockey. I was one of the bigger players. So I had a lot of leverage. Um, I, I would say that it was, there were, there were the emotional uh, sort of things would ignite due to that. I mean, especially against Canada, I don't think we had anything remotely close to that um, against other teams. Just, it was so heated against Canada and leading up to the gold medal game in Nagano, we played them 14 times. So you can't, you, you look at these guys playing the same team eight times, almost double that. And, and we're playing against these guys. Um, so it, it, it's interesting though. You talk about the code. I actually think there's value to that. I mean, I, there, we did have it. If somebody were going to do something cheap, you're keeping an eye on that player. And you say within the rules, I mean, the rules are gray. And, you know, back when I played, it was one ref, two linesmen. Now they've got two refs. So they don't see everything you're covering in front there. You know, there's little things that happen. Um, and some of it is with the stick. Some of it's different things that go on behind the play. And there's the ref can't see every, even now with two refs, they can't see everything. Um, you hope that you, you know, and typically with anything, and this is what I tell my kids when I coach them, they always get the retaliator, right? right? So you want to be the one who gets the first shot in, cause then they're going to turn around and, and do something and they're going to get the penalty for it. Um, so, you know, I think that there is value for it. You look at the NHL, you look at the fact that you have, you used to have those enforcers, right? And that's why a Wayne Gretzky, that's why some of these, these really high skilled, non-physical players could continue to do what they do. They had people out there who would keep an eye on them and, and keep them protected. Obviously there's, there's not a lot of room in the game right now for that. And everybody has to be skilled at a certain level and you can't just be an enforcer, but there is still 
um, there's a place for that. And some of the, the whole thing about fighting that I find interesting, and I was just having a conversation actually with Patrick Burke about this. And he says he gets asked all the time, why don't you make fighting illegal? And he always responds, it is illegal. We, it's, you get a penalty, you get a major and, you know, it is illegal. Um, maybe some people think it should be, there should be a bigger repercussion, but then on the flip side of it, that is how they regulate out there. That is how these players keep everybody honest. So, you know, it's sometimes there's, I think when you have that organic, uh, fight like erupted last night between the Capitals and the Rangers, that is part of the game. From what I saw, and again, I didn't see it live. I saw all the the replays afterwards. Tom Wilson took it too far. He looked like a man possessed. And it is scary when you have somebody that is that strong that look, and he looks like he's out of control. So, you know, I I think that there, that's a tough one for me because he has been fined so many times and he has been suspended so many times and he continues to do it. And he's one of the more skilled guys out there. So it's it's a really fascinating thing looking at it from my perspective. When I played, not the same by any stretch of the imagination, what you know, your question about women's hockey, but we had sort of our own code, doesn't doesn't parallel to the men's hockey, but it is, you know, it's an interesting game within the game. Yeah, and you make a good point about you know, Tom Wilson is you know, we were talking before we started recording about Brad Marchand, who who plays that pest role, but when you're five nine or five eight, like Brad Marchand is, they call you a pest. When you're Tom Wilson and you're six five or six four and two forty, no one's calling him a pest. But I think he sees himself as that. He sees himself as a guy who's more agitator than burly guy, which is how you end up. You know, we talk and you're talking about the code. Um, you know, I think the code of fifteen years ago or ten years ago, when there were enforcers, were you stay in your own weight class. And no matter who goes after you, like you don't flip Artemi Panarin, who's 50 pounds lighter than you, and start punching him. Like that's not acceptable. Um, the Rangers don't have anybody in Tom Wilson's weight class right now to kind of make that stick. But um, it, it is such an interesting blurring of the lines between the old NHL, which is not that old, you know, when there was an enforcer or two on every team. And now, and like you said, Tom Wilson is an integral part of what the Caps do. They need him. And especially last night when they were missing half of their lineup, basically, for various reasons. Um, you know, that that makes it a little bit more difficult to kind of sort through. Caps fans love this guy. He's a key part of a Stanley Cup champion. Barry Trotz loves this guy. Also a key part of that Stanley Cup champion. People defend him. Um, and it gets harder and harder to do when he starts doing this, these things where he looks like someone who's out of control. And, uh, you know, like we said, you know, the Rangers and Caps play again tomorrow and it doesn't seem like the Rangers are going to retaliate, but it was interesting to me to hear John Scott, who was from the enforcer school, who posted a little video on Twitter this morning that said, seeing that if I'm a guy who's bigger and stronger than everybody and I'm playing the Caps, I get it, get into a scrum after the whistle and I grab John Carlson or Nick Backstrom, or Dmitry Orlov, and I just start punching, because what am I going to get? A fine. And that's the part to me where if you don't take a stand against this guy, they're not going to go after Tom Wilson because he's the biggest and the strongest. They're going to go after his teammates, and I don't think they're going to like it very much. Yeah, you know, and I think that it's interesting um, bring up the 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 unwritten code or the rule that you don't fade out fade, fight outside your weight class. And, you know, I go back was it two years ago? I think it was in 2019 when Ovechkin took on Svechnikov and almost right, right. killed the kid, right? You know, and, and and you do take these big guys and you take a Tom Wilson, you take a um, Alex Ovechkin and uh, you take, and and it's funny to 
talk about those guys now because they are their skill guys. They're their top line goal scoring guys. And, and Barry Trotz had Tom Wilson. He was the one who sort of molded him into from this fourth line gritty, grinding, physical player to this first line skill guy. And, you know, what we were talking about with Brad Marchand before was that he used to be that way. Um, And yes, he's smaller, so it's a little different, but he's actually toned down a lot of those antics. I mean, sometimes he does dumb things off the puck or, he, you know, whatever, he taunts people, but he's toned down a lot of that stuff because he doesn't have to do it anymore. And because he's scoring goals and he's, you know, he's able to sort of retaliate, if you will, on the on the uh, scoreboard. So that's what I find interesting. But to your point about everybody loves the guy in the locker room. And, and you could, we, you and I have sat there and listened to Barry Trotz sing his praises. And it's very easy after that to think, okay, yeah, I can, I can get behind that. You know, he, he's a guy you want to be on his team, but he's, you know, it's rough to play against him or whatever it is. But watching last night, that seemed, I mean, that, that, that punch to Bujnevich, Bujnevich was, he was so defenseless the way he was lying there prone that that's scary. And then he takes Panarin who doesn't have his helmet on at that point, And that could have ended really poorly. And you have all these skates flying around. You have all the, and the end of the day, a fight's a fight, but you know, you look at it, they have to be in control of themselves. And he did not look in control of his emotions. And so I think that that's something that I don't, I don't, I do not envy the player safety committee or the department of player safety. Um, because I don't know, they have to take all of this stuff in, into consideration. They have to watch it and they have to slow it down and they have to take into, you know, Panarin out for the regular season. Um, would he have been out if they had made it to the playoffs? What is his injury? You know, all these different things that they take into account and then, and then Tom Wilson's history. Um, but to your point of $5,000, that's the maximum fine for these guys. That's a drop in the bucket. So is that something that's going to deter moving forward things that can really be detrimental to the game because it's taking these stars. I mean, Artemi Panarin is one of the great stars of our game right now. He's fun to watch. He scores goals. He's got a great personality. So that to me is one of the, it's a challenge for the department of player safety. I think generally speaking, they do an excellent job and I don't envy them, but that's a, that's a balance that they have to constantly try to strike and say, what message are we sending and what uh, consequences are out there for these actions? Yeah, it's, uh, it's not an envious job and it hasn't been through all the different iterations of, of people that have been through their former players, whether it's Stefan Quintal, when it was Brian Burke back in the day, Chris Pronger, whoever, I, I don't, I think there's a reason people don't last very long there. It's just hard. <laughs> it's hard to do. And it's also not an independent commission. You know, it's, I think people tend to forget that they point the finger at player safety for making this decision or that decision. Um, there's, there's the commissioner and the league that backs it. There's the players association that has input via the CBA. And like we said, $5,000 is nothing, but that's the max. It said it in the statement. That's the maximum allowable under the CBA. So my, I always go back to if Tom Wilson's teammates, and then by extension, some of his fellow players in the league are okay with it by virtue of not demanding stricter punishments for these sorts of things in the CBA negotiations or demanding it of the league's general managers who tweak the rules and, and kind of guide player safety when they have their general manager meetings, then we're going to keep seeing it. And And I love Peter LaViolette, but I think he's he's culpable too as coaches for Tom Wilson and guys like him have been in the past where his comments were, well, you know, I think he said it today, like, you know, he, I just had to tell Tom, you know, eyes are on him. And it's like, well, eyes wouldn't be on you if you weren't punching guys in the back of the head while they were laying on the ice. But also uh, eyes have been on him for a while. I right. mean, that's because, no surprise. And, and people aren't watching him because, because he seems he's big and scary. They're watching him because he's been suspended five times. You know, it's it, to me, it's, 
it's disingenuous. I think you say what you mean. And even if you're saying it behind closed doors that he's got to knock it off, it's okay to say that publicly too, to at least give the impression that someone on that team, um, you know, cares that this guy is, is putting them in a bad position because the next, now that he's done this, if he does something similar, he is going to get suspended and we're getting close to the playoffs. And if that costs the caps another chance at, at advancing, man, I, I, you know, then people are, you know, the fans aren't going to be so forgiving of him. Right. And, and you look at a game where, you, as you mentioned, they were very depleted based on injury, based on two guys sitting because they were late for a team meeting, based on a, a variety of things. And had that happened early in the first period or, you know, they lost him for that misconduct time. Right. So um, it's it shortens the bench and it, they have to deal with that. It's not just a Tom Wilson issue. It's a team issue. And it does sort of take away from what the team is trying to accomplish. So I, I am going to be curious to see. That's going to be a game I want to keep an eye on, just how they handle it. And and you mentioned it before, the Rangers don't have the kind of guy that's going to be able to even the score, if you will, or, you know, that unwritten code that we just, we started this segment talking about. And, uh, you know, the other teams that face the Capitals that maybe do have somebody like that, are they watching that and just saying, hey, wasn't against my teammate, but still that does, that was disrespectful of the game. That was disrespectful of what this league is trying to accomplish. And that's what I saw. A lot of comments on social media was some of the players just saying this, it was just clearly intent to injure. And, and again, maybe intent to injure is the wrong word, but clearly it was um, a lack of awareness about potential injury, I guess, right? You let your emotions run rampant like that and you can't control them. And, you know, back when he was injured for the uh, hit on Brandon Carlo in Boston, he said he was going to, he knew he needed to start reining in his emotion. He, he just needed to start cleaning it up. Like he's saying all those right things and then he looks like something snaps out there. And and that's really scary when you have something of his, somebody of his size, uh, his strength and the damage that he can do if he loses control. Well, if it, that's one more reason to me, I'd love to see Islanders Capitals in the playoffs. So <laughs> we'll see where we are this time next week when we'll be uh, the Islanders will be getting ready to start their playoff series against the Capitals or the Bruins or the Penguins. And AJ and I will be here to break it down. So thanks as always, AJ. Always fun. Looking forward to let, let's let's have a good one tonight, right? Something <laughs> exciting, fun, some energy. What do you think? Something competitive, at least not not like what we saw last night. So. Thanks, everybody, for listening. This is No Sleep Till Belmont, your Islanders podcast from The Athletic. Whatever platform you listen to us on, Spotify, Apple, whatever, make sure you subscribe, leave a review. It can really help us out. And if you want to subscribe to The Athletic, do so at theathletic.com slash no sleep till Belmont. Our latest deal is available there. Thanks, everybody. We'll catch you in the playoffs next week.